You're listening to The Voice of Dawn. This is Rob McWool, your fellow traveler. And today's story is, It is a great comfort to know one's work is appreciated. By Michel Vincent Corbeau, who is soon to self-publish his first poetry collection titled From the Plume, and is also an admin for the Wildside Literature Telegram Group. And by Rob McWolf, recently published in When the World Was Young by the Furry Historical Fiction Society. Please enjoy. It is great comfort to know one's work is appreciated. By Michelle Vincent Corbeau and Rob McWolf. I was in Lucky Jacques's down on St. Donald Street of an afternoon, having a much-needed brandy. I'd had a busy morning, let me tell you. It looked to be a busy evening as well. I needed to seek out offices of a prospective publisher or two, but it was still too early. All the editors and typesetters would still be busy themselves. My tranquil introspection was disturbed, however, by an argument carried in from the street outside. Worries me that neither of you taking this seriously is all, said the stag who shouldered his way to the table just behind my elbow to the hare and the cormorant that trailed in his wake. They were so clearly plain-clothes police that they might as well not have bothered with the plain clothes. We are taking it seriously, insisted the cormorant as she signaled for a waiter. You're just wrong. The hare took a seat in the corner. And yes, I know it's rude to eavesdrop, but the overheard conversation is one of the chiefest pleasures of a great city, at least among those that cost nothing. And it wasn't as if I had anywhere to be just yet. Once they'd ordered a coffee and sandwich for the stag, onion quiche and whiskey and pineapple juice for the hare, sausage pierogi and a lager for the cormorant, the stag held forth once more. This has the potential to become the kind of crisis that brings down a government. You say this based on a poem? The hare replied, which turned my curiosity to interest. I don't say it, it says it. It's a clue, damn you. All right. The cormorant held up her wings like she was calling for silence among furious senators. Walk us through it then, because I don't see it either. Thank you, I will. Stag wore sharp, precise clothes and a bushy waxed mustache. He wore his trench coat ironed, and his antlers cut short and precise as if he might be called up to join a brigade at any moment. I couldn't see what he pulled from his coat, not without abandoning all pretense of minding my drink and my own business, but I heard him slap it onto the table and then read, The Human Wage. He's given us a slip of paper to kill the man upstairs. In screeching hues, there flashed the news, yet no one truly cares. Our lives will merely fade as vapor when nothing left remains. Corroding shells in withered hells where hope is spilt from veins. Now don't tell me that doesn't make your blood run cold, he finished, then continued immediately so neither of them could say it didn't. A slip of paper to kill the man upstairs is this murder, obviously. The office was on the top floor and the body was posed, post-mortem, to hold this slip of paper out of the blood on the desk. He gave us this slip of paper, i.e. this poem, which means this murder was on somebody's orders. Implies organization, a chain of command. Us and our lives imply a group, not a soul killer. So it was one of the mobs? 
the cormorant finally got a word in edgewise. That are concerned, but hardly a government crisis. No, not a mob, because he didn't just order Mr. Derlinge's murder. He gave them the slip of paper. Therefore, part of the killing was making sure the poem, the explanation, was seen. Mobs, they don't draw attention to their murders, at least not like this. Leaving a deliberate and obvious clue means this death was to make a point, to send a message. And what a message. No one truly cares. Our lives will fade as vapor and nothing left remains. Most damning of all, hope is spilt from veins. That is, hope is what comes of our killings, so we mean to continue them. That last line, he snorted, is a threat. A threat to what? sniffed the hare. Another murder, obviously. Look at the second verse. Our lives will merely fade as vapor. Haven't the indolent young loudmouth types all been crying to heaven over updated artillery on the fortified northeast? Corroded shells would be the gas canisters announced for testing last month. And what was the late Mr. Dillaringe's business? Dillaringe Foundry Works, contracted to manufacture weapons for the army. It says split, though, not spilt, interjected the cormorant. What? You said blood is spilt, but that isn't what it says, she explained. It says blood is split from veins. Oh. The stag stopped to consider. Well, that means close enough to the same that it changes nothing. In any case, some dissident students, no matter how murderous, the hare shook his head, don't add up to a fallen government. If they're funded and directed by a foreign power, they do. The stag gulped his coffee, even more ominously for the shocking lack of milk or sugar. We all know what that pretend Caesar across the river would love to do if some moon-brained anarchists are emboldened enough to say, Well, we killed a warmongering robber baron. He pitched his voice up, apparently an imitation which still left him speaking at least an octave lower than anyone else in the room. Well done us, but next must come the cabinet minister who signed the contract, the general who used the weapons, the president who approved the plan. Just the opportunity he needs, and then what follows? Chaos and invasion. Even were your interpretation not laughably wrong, my friend, the hare said gently, that would still be a reach. You see some other interpretation? The stag harumphed in the depths of his mustache. <clears throat> Quite so. The hare cleared his throat and shifted in his seat, as if he had been sitting a certain way for listening, and now had to sit a different way for explaining. Now you're quite right that the position of the body holding the poem was deliberate, and that we are meant to find it, that it is therefore a message. But you've assumed that the important thing to the killer is the murder, and the message is merely to explain it. But if that were so, then why not send a letter to the paper claiming responsibility, or hang up a notice board, or leave out pamphlets? There are a dozen safer and cleaner ways to do it if that is what he wanted. No, the message is not for the sake of the murder. The murder is for the sake of the message. Get on with it, growled the stag, who had a point. Patience, my friend. The hare was enjoying this. Secondly, we need not yet assume more than one killer. It takes only one hand to write a poem, only one to cut a throat. I will grant 
The poem says another decreed the killing, your hypothetical he. But poems are not to be taken literally, and murderers are not to be taken at their word. You think this was one killer, then? said the cormorant. Could this be done by one person? Yes. If so, would the sort of person likely to kill a complete stranger also be likely to write this poem, to need to express the kind of psyche that it expresses? Kill the man upstairs, for example. You notice that man is capitalized the same way one capitalizes God, and would it not make sense to call him the man upstairs? So an intense religious obsession, perhaps anxiety that society has abandoned what he feels is sanctity, replaced it with godless industry. The result of which is the second verse, withered hells, again the capital letter, and the delusion that one's own urges are imperatives from some other party, some higher power, is not uncommon. Thus the killer thinks that he gave this slip of paper, little realizing that he is himself. So a fellow feels, the hare had built up enough momentum, there was no stopping him, he has some vital message, so strongly that it has overthrown his mind. But alas, no one truly cares. He must make them care. He must present the message in a way that it cannot be ignored. And to be honest, he succeeded. For here we are, talking about it. We wouldn't be doing that if not for Mr. de Larengue's death. You think, then, the cormorant ventured, it was just a frustrated madman who wanted someone to listen? And that's the end of it? A frustrated maniac, yes. But the end of it? The hare gestured toward the stag with a handle of his fork. There I think the worthy inspector all too correct. If they get away with this, why, how long before they again feel they have something important to say? It is not a question of if they will strike again, but when. A grim prospect finished the hare, though he clearly wanted to say fascinating rather than grim. Neither of you asked the question that's been bothering me. The cormorant stared into her empty glass. Why is it a poem? What do you mean? Stag was still grumpy. We're really about to discuss literary theory and the definition of poetry. You hadn't noticed we already were? The hare interrupted, amused. No, no, I mean... The cormorant had to rush her words to get ahead of them and grab the conversational reins again. If it were just a manifesto, or maniac ramblings, then there's no need for it to be in verse. Verse takes effort. If someone writes it, they do so for a reason, so what was it? You have a guess. It sounded like the stag was more prepared to consider this theory than the hare's. Well, when you read it out in the office, there was something about it that sounded familiar. I couldn't place it until I smelled the lager. The cormorant lifted her glass took me back to Grandma's kitchen, to Grandpa having a glass of beer in the afternoon while I did my homework on the kitchen table, and to the record they play. My darling, light another taper, and sweep me up the stairs, to a hideaway so fair and gay for you and I to share. Either of you ever heard that? When she apparently got no reply, the cormoran continued. It was very popular for couples back in the day. My grandparents danced to it at their wedding, they were about the same age as Del Renge. Look, whatever you think a poem ought to be about, whether it's political statement or reflection of psychology or both or neither, 
it's still something written by a specific person to specific people. Everything is there because someone chose it to be there, because they thought it would mean something to whoever it was for. So if it matches a sappy old romantic ballad, then the writer meant it to. You think you know why? the hare said. I assume. Well, the first thing I'd check would be, is there a Mrs. Delaringe? If that was their song, if the two of them are the us and the our the poem mentions, then making what sounds like a bitter, angry, despairing parody of it, that might be because a wife or a mistress found out about some other wife or mistress. I guess it could have been someone else shouldn't jump to the conclusion that the wife did it just because romance might be involved. It isn't unheard of for people to act on what they think is a woman's behalf to avenge her honor without even asking what she wants done. The cormorant finished. Well, that's what I'd start investigating anyway. Makes sense, grumbled the stag as the hare flagged down the waitress and paid for their lunches. And it's as good a place to start looking as any. But if this is a secret society of anarchists, after all, then... Then you told us so, my friend. We know. The hare pulled in his coat. Back to work, then. I kept my face turned away as they passed behind me. I ordered another brandy once they'd left. And I thought about Mr. Deringue. The doctors say I have a bad heart was the first thing the old toad had said when he realized he wasn't alone. It makes a man think to be told he does not have long to live. I told him that yes, in my experience, that was so. In your experience, then, do people wish they had never agreed to run the family business? To have instead kept writing poetry, gained skill until they could actually call themselves a good poet, finally produce something beautiful and worthy? Perhaps not exactly in those terms, I assured him, but more often than he might think. Look at me, he snorted, so old and apathetic that I just sit and chat with you instead of fighting or fleeing. But then who else is there to hear my last words? He looked wistfully out the windows, over the city, a view too high for any other person to be more than a speck. I don't imagine you can say who has hired you. I apologized. It was a matter of client confidentiality. A respectful businessman such as himself must know. Ah, of course, I quite understand. He tried to chuckle to himself, but it came out as a disappointed sigh. And I suppose, given what I have made and sold these last years... That you are not alone in making a living off the deaths of strangers. You see, sir, I said, you are a poet after all. I was toying with the wording of something on that subject when you came in. Instead of seeing to my work. Would that I could have brought myself to abandon the wretched business altogether and could be remembered for something I actually believed in. He looked up at me sharply then. Do you take last requests? I had to admit that I usually cannot. Most things of that sort are beyond my capabilities. Ah, well, I do not see how you could fulfill this one at that. Might I at least hear it? 
if I were vouchsafed a request, it would be that people read my poems, but then what could you do there? Nobody wants to publish poetry, so believe me, I have tried. And I know I should have left well enough alone. And yet I said, Well, if it's only some poems by some rich old fuddy-duddy, you'd be right enough. No interest there. But poems by the victim of a shocking unsolved murder? He sat up at that. One of which might, who knows, secretly contain the clues to solve the mystery. I saw excitement gleam in the toad's eyes. Why, sir, the bookstalls won't be able to keep up. The talk in the cafes will be of nothing else, at least for a while. He looked like an excited schoolboy who does not yet believe he's being given a holiday. Does it not seem cheap and sordid, though? I feel like a cheat, dying just for attention's sake. Well, sir, I said, I'm afraid the dying is inevitable now that I'm here. And even were I not, there is the heart condition you mentioned. You may as well get as much out of the unavoidable affair as you can. And that seemed almost to persuade him, so I pressed. Perhaps, sir, you could select a favorite, something cryptic and ominous, if you have it, to whet the public appetite when the news breaks. Oh, oh, indeed, I know just the one. He pulled a thick notebook with pieces of scrap paper stuffed between the pages from his desk drawer. You are an extraordinary assassin, sir. Thank you, sir, I smiled. It is a great comfort to know one's work is appreciated. I finished my brandy. The detectives were long gone. The sun was setting as I left St. O'Donnell Street and went looking for a publisher with whom to leave anonymously overnight the manuscript of poems in my inner pocket. I have no doubt the public will appreciate them. This was It Is a Great Comfort to Know One's Work is Appreciated by Michelle Vincent Corbeau and Rob McQuill. Read for you by Rob McQuill, Werewolf Hitchhiker. You can find more stories on the web at thevoice.dog or find the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to The Voice of Dog. <laughs>